The Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar Rewards. Must be 21 or older. Welcome back to the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny, the only NFL podcast where one of the hosts always plays to the whistle. Whistle makes him stop. Hurts his ears. That's Lenny. I'm Mina Kimes. And I'm joined for the first time ever. You guessed. Dan Pizzuta friend of well you're not a friend of the show yet you're a friend of of mine through the internet but now you're a friend of the show welcome to the show uh thank you for having me i like i feel like i'm through yeah the internet a friend of the show listen to <laughs> almost every episode I've, i feel oh. like i've been here a while but uh very Thanks honored so to much. be on um so for those who uh don't know dan's work it's he does a great job covering the nfl um most recently with Sharp Football Analysis, I think sharpfootballanalysis.com, yep. right? but um, really, I really love, you do a really good job identifying trends and things that teams are doing, and I've really enjoyed reading your work for a while, um, so I figured I should have you on, and um, especially this time of year, which is sort of, you know, the, it's a transitional point in the NFL calendar, um, minus the NFL schedule release, which is now uh, a multi-day event. There's announcements for announcements, uh, big changes. I'm flying to Connecticut tomorrow to reveal <laughs> the schedule. Um, but yeah, yeah, the draft's over. We've kind of taken stock of the draft. Um, usually what I do next, Stan, is kind of talk about just kind of take stock of teams in the offseason. We do, I think this year we'll probably do QB rankings again, defense rankings, that kind of thing before getting into our previews. But what, what I decided to do for this episode is something I haven't done in a really long time, which is a mailbag. Um, and for me, it's a really good way to not only touch base with you, the listeners, the viewers, if you're watching this on YouTube, if not, go check it out, but also um, to talk about teams that I haven't really gotten around to. And that was kind of fun to me to going through some of the questions I got, picking some teams that I haven't dug into the Vikings, for example. I, I feel like I haven't talked about the Vikings in forever, but they've done some interesting things this offseason. So we're going to talk about the Vikings. I sent you all the questions. Some of them are a little wacky, but a lot of them are just kind of based on teams. Um, yeah. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm excited. Great. Oh, what's your Twitter handle? I forgot. To, I, it's not your name, right? It's something else. Yeah, it is. Oh, it's just your name. Okay. Yep. D-A-N-P-I-Z-Z-U-T-A. Go follow him, guys. All right. Da -da -da -da. First question is from uh, a listener who has sent in questions before. I recognize her name. It's Lisa Brzezinski at Strong Basil, who asks, which team is most likely to go from worst to first in their division? So, Dan, I feel like there are two very obvious candidates. Two is identified. What do you, Did you land on two as well? So I had them tiered. I had one in a tier by themselves. Oh, okay. Just give me and the tier. <laughs> Uh, so that was the Falcons. The Falcons, not the Jets. Oh, wow. Okay, great. I kind Excellent. of feel like Falcons are cheating a little bit because they're in they the were only stuff. a game out. Every yeah. team in that division still finished with seven wins. So like they weren't really last place. Uh, and that entire division is just super weird. Um, and I know we're going to – we have a question about the Falcons later. So yeah, we're, we're going to dig really deep into the Falcons later. So. Yeah, so I kind of feel like they were a cheap answer to this question just because of the NFC South in yes. general. Um but yeah, in my next tier is the Jets. Which and the, just the Jets. I have the Jets and the Browns slightly below them in the same tier and then kind of everyone else. So I, I considered the Browns. There's a separation Browns. in the tier. 
Yeah, I considered the Browns because, um, you know, I've, I did a, like a roster review a few weeks ago, and I, one of my big takeaways was I, the Browns roster is extremely good. However, yeah. I think for the Browns to compete, you would need the quarterback to play significantly better than he did last year. And they're also in, a, I think, a very, very difficult division, not unlike the Jets. Right. Um, Whereas I think the Jets, you know, and I guess maybe this is a good place that we can talk about the Jets here at length because so I had the Falcons and the Jets tied and um, I, I checked the odds just out of curiosity and they're almost identical to win the division. The Falcons are plus 225. That's the second best odds behind the Saints and the Jets are plus 220 um, right behind Buffalo. Um, you know, obviously, it depends what you look at, but I thought that, yeah, like... I get it. Um, you know, the case for the Falcons, you kind of laid it out. It really is. I mean, there, there's the team, which we'll get to. There's the division. Obviously, three teams finished seven and 10 last year. I don't think anyone, you can really make a case for, maybe not the Bucks, but like, I, maybe, I don't know. That division is wide open, whereas the Jets are in a very, very difficult division, like the Browns. I think the reason I have them above the Browns is not necessarily because I think it's so much more likely that Rodgers will return to form, although I, I do think he's certainly going to play better than he did last year. Um, but because, Dan, I think the Jets' defense is awesome, and I think they're going to continue to be awesome. You know, So last year they finished fifth in DVOA, fourth against the pass, tenth against the run. And I was looking at the depth chart to see who, like, what changes there were, and really... They lost Sheldon Rankins, who played well. Um, Quan Alexander, I think, is still a free agent. Uh, but this is the defense it, that it was. Only they added some players. They added, well, they, they they drafted Will McDonald in the first round, for example. They signed Chuck Clark to help at safety. Uh, but up front, it's the same group, unless Quentin, Jeff, uh, Quentin Williams decides to sit out. Oh, they also added Al Woods. He's like a very underrated nose tackle yeah. And this was a defense that was young last year. So I guess my feeling is, and perhaps this is true but more than Cleveland, where it's always like the good on paper, but are they going to come together kind of defense? Sure. I'm having trouble thinking of a reason why this defense would regress. And then as we all know, the offense was awful and there's nowhere to go but up. Yeah. And I think one of the really interesting things about the defense. So I think when we like talk about defense a lot, it's always, you know, it's hard to sustain a top tier yes. defense from year to year. But when you look at what the Jets did last year, they did it without getting a ton of turnovers. Right? So they were only 27th in turnovers per drive. And kind of when, when you look at that and a team that excels on defense without turnovers, that's usually a pretty good sign that they're going to be good again. So I looked at teams that allowed uh, under 30 yards per drive and had a turnover rate of under 10%. And when you go back like the past 10 years, it's a lot of like average defenses mm. and eight of the 14 in the next year were in the top 10 and five of them were in the top six by DVOA. Uh, the crazy thing oh. this year is there were three teams that did that. It was New Orleans, Washington, and the Jets, and they were already in the top 10. Hmm. But the Jets were already fifth in DVOA without all of those turnovers. So it's something that usually looks like it's going to be a good defense again next year. This is something that the Jets were already doing while they were a good defense. So I have a little more confidence in them to be a really good yeah. defense, even though we know that defense usually isn't as stable year to year. That's a great point. And always like when you guys are out looking for 
regression and improvement candidates, what Dan just cited, turnover, uh, unsustainable turnover rates is one of the many things that it, you, you should look at. And there is health. They were pretty healthy. So, you know, maybe they, the injury bug might hit them, hit them, but they're just so deep. I mean, I, the player, I just like in the front, I want to read you these names. Uh, so I mentioned Quinton Williams, Quinton Jefferson, Al Woods, Solomon Thomas, Jermaine Johnson, who was, you know, a rookie and obviously has room to improve. Uh, John Franklin Myers, who was extremely good for them. Carl Lawson, who was coming back from injury last year. Bryce Huff, who they use situationally, but is really good. Bryce and Huff then, is really good. He's so good. He stands out just every time he's on the field. They brought yeah. him back for like not that much money. And then Will yeah. McDonald, who they drafted this year and who they can just use situationally as well. Like that is in such a stacked group of players. So, you know, when we talk about the injury thing, I, I guess what jumps out is like they've got depth. My biggest question would be probably, you know, safety is not, I wouldn't say, I would say is probably if I had to pick one kind of weakness with this team, Chuck Clark's okay. Uh, Whitehead is, um, you know, I would say maybe a little bit one-dimensional, but a decent player. But fine. Like if you're going to pick one area to, ha- to have like not a ton of depth there, I'm okay with safety. Um, yeah. And also guess what? This defense isn't going to have to stay on the field the, this much. Uh, that's another thing. I think like, uh, th- one of the things that like, I think we can underestimate when we talk about football and like, you know, all the things that you and I look at when, when we talk about these, these units and whether they'll be good or stuff is just how unbelievably dispiriting it is to play with a quarterback this is the number one thing defensive players tell me is like yeah. at a certain point you, you like at the beginning of the season you have like a lot of pride in it and you're like yeah the defense is carrying the team you know and then at the end of the season you're all looking at zach wilson in the locker room and you're like this is a nightmare and i really think that that's another another reason why i expect the defense to play even better is just the fact that the offense should be able to string together longer drives um and not be a totally totally depressing to watch every time they take the field should help them as well. Yeah, I think so. I, I kind of wonder what this offense is going to look like with Rogers and kind of that's, uh, that's the big question. Yeah. Right. Because like last year there were times when he was just like actively rebelling against the offense and you know, he's, you know, they say he's locked in now. Everyone's going, Oh, he's so excited to be here. He's on the field for the OTAs and, and all these practices, but even though he's going to be exciting for the offense, is it if it's going to be his offense? Yeah, I'm not sure. Which is a lot more, you know, shotgun heavy. The Jets were doing some more stuff under center. You know, 37 percent of Brees Hall's runs were from shotgun, um, so he was more under center. Um, good in both, so though. I looked. He up. was very good in both. <laughs> yeah, like top EPA my, per play in, in both. But. You know, Rodgers was good at under center play action, but he hates it. So is there going to be a marriage of that run and pass game? Is that something that he's just going to override, which is kind of my big question for what that is actually going to look like. Nathaniel Hackett's not going to boss him around and and take control? Uh, Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I I think that's my big question with the Jets is just kind of what is the offense actually going to look like? Because the assumption that it's going to be a continuation of what we saw in green Bay, particularly during the MVP years, I think runs into what we saw last year, what you just described, which is not inference. And Rogers said he hated all the pre-snap motion and stuff. Like, so, um, 
you know, I think it raises questions like, okay, well, if you're not putting them under center, if you're not using as much motion before the snap or whatever, you know, how are you creating deception? How are you marrying the run and pass? How are you um, getting some of those uh, easier looks that we saw at times with the Packers? And I think that's where a lot of this is going to depend on really can Garrett Wilson take that next Devontae Adams like leap that people seem to be like assuming he'll make um because if Aaron Rodgers is running the offense the way he likes which is you know basically being captain standing back in the gun just you know reading defenses and letting it rip um it's they're really going to need those skill players to carry some of the load and that connection is going to have to be there and um it's going to be less about scheme in some ways. So I guess, uh, yeah, the, 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 the optimist case is that they don't, all he has to do is be average because the defense is great. And because they were so crap last year, the challenge is that I expect the AFC East to be very good. So it's, um, yeah, the, I have a hard time. I, I was, I went back and forth. Ultimately the Falcons are probably a better bet to your point because of the division, frankly. Um, and I think I'd have to really think through to the bills a little bit. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about their, you know, my, I kind of am just like clocking them in as the winner without like thinking about it in depth. So I'll probably get to that when we cover the division, but it's going to be a very uh, exciting division race. And by the way, it's going to come up again. Like there's another question where I'm going to refer back to this division. <laughs> um, well, this is actually a good transition to our next question, which is about uh, Aaron Rodgers' replacement. Young Jordan Love. Parker Eves asks, what do you need to see from Jordan Love next year to be convinced he should be Green Bay's long-term starter? Well, I'll start by saying they've got him locked in for pretty cheap on two years, so the Packers right. don't need... I guess, actually, that is... It bears mentioning. They don't actually... He doesn't have to actually be that good to be the yes, starter. that helps a lot. The next year. Yeah, the pre- there's not a lot of pressure on Jordan Love. So, um, I guess, Dan, like, what would you like to see from him? So... Kind of to recap, we've seen very little of Jordan Love. Uh, we year one, he struggled in his first couple of starts, um, one of which his family was not allowed to attend, or at least from the like you know way up in the bleachers in Kansas City. Last year, he comes in in relief for Aaron Rodgers against the Philadelphia Eagles and looks fantastic. Looks a lot better in a lot of ways, I would say. Um, seemed to be very small sample size, but seemed to be in much better command of the offense. Was playing quickly. Um, seeing the field really well. So, you know, that's all we have to go on right now. So I guess for you, what would you want to see from him in year one, assuming he's probably going to get a year two as well? Yeah, that was kind of the thing where I I feel like the baseline is just being okay. Is like, it's kind of because of that contract. Like that contract really plays a big part in this because they kind of avoided the two worst case scenarios with a fifth year option, which is like the Sam Darnold, where it's a bad quarterback with the guaranteed fifth year option. And then there's like the Daniel Jones, where he's like a fine quarterback without the fifth year option. And you kind of have to make that decision right after. So I feel like that kind of lowers the baseline for what Jordan Love has to be in order for him to get uh, a second year, because it kind of seems like that. But yeah, like you said, I I went back and watched those Philadelphia plays and like he is really like looks good. <laughs> it, it did look good and like so decisive and quick. Seventy yeah. percent uh, of his passes were under two and a half seconds. So there was a lot of things where he was just and it wasn't like just like schemed up stuff. It was trust where he was 
allowing things to get open in the middle of the field. And he like knew something the was going to break the open. The was, there. Yes. Yeah. You're yeah. Of, yeah. Um, he was like, he looked real comfortable and empty. I mean, again, only five of seven, which only seven attempts for like mm. that entire span. Uh, but the two incompletions were drops and he had a, like a nine yard a dot on those throws. So like kind of pushing the ball down the field. He, he had uh, a whole shot bit. that was dropped. I, if yeah. I remember correctly, yes. that was like on the money. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he's doing some things like even in that small sample that I wasn't really ready to see him do for like what we kind of, especially what he was back in college yeah. uh, and this. So, you know, and, and they're going to scheme up this offense. Like this is now going to be the ideal version of what LaFleur wants to run with some of this heavier play action. You know, they have Jaden Reed, who's working to be the, the jet guy. They have some more tight ends. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited about both tight ends uh, that they brought in. Um, so I think it's going to be a pretty exciting, like, even if he's not great, I think the scheme might allow them to, yeah. you know, produce a little more and that's going to be a little more help there. I totally agree. We played a clip of, uh, Matt LaFleur talking, uh, recently, I guess on NFL live yesterday, and he just looked so happy <laughs> and so relieved. Um, you know, which I, that's not for me, like setting aside whatever the personal stuff with him and Rogers, who was obviously only a year removed from playing at an extremely high level. Um, I think it's easy. It, it, you, you can certainly intuit that there was, as we talked about with Rogers, you know, a bit of a conflict in what the offense should look like. And now he gets to basically call the shots. And I, I personally, I think Matt LaFleur is a really good play caller. I think he's yeah. really good at sequencing plays. I think he's really good at making things look like each other, um, yeah. using formation and personnel groupings to get matchups and mess with defenses in creative ways. So from we, you know, like when we were, t we were just talking about this with the draft and all the young quarterbacks and what kind of spots are they landing in? And when I look at Jordan Love in the context of his first year, um, it's fine. It's pretty good. I mean, obviously he doesn't, I, you know, there's no proven number one wide receiver. I, I think that's totally fair to say, although obviously some encouraging stuff from both Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs at times during the season, but it well, he might not have like a number one wide receiver, you have a dominant run game and one of the better offensive lines in football and one of the better offensive play callers in football. That's pretty damn good. <laughs> like, so, uh, yeah, I'm excited to see what he does. I think, um, I mean, this is a team you talk about the two tight ends that was either, I, I think they, they had the second most snaps, 12 personnel of any team, um, probably behind Denver off the top of my head, but, um, you know, they, they did that and they had a pretty high success rate, even with like Robert Tunyon and Mercedes Lewis, Lewis, who are both, you know, I mean, Lewis is a blocking tight end. Um, now they have, uh, you know, in the draft, they drafted Luke Musgrave and, and Tucker Kraft. Luke Musgrave was sort of, this is a, the Packers, you remember, tried to trade for Darren Waller again. I think the way they viewed Musgrave is like being a potential Waller type in terms of his athleticism, his ability to stretch the field, didn't have a lot of production in college. But um, I'm really excited to see like how he uses the tight ends because there's such different types of tight ends from the ones that they've had recently. I think they're going to have him empty a lot. You alluded to that. And if you have a quarterback in empty who's a threat to run, that just makes things so much easier. Um, so I, like, I just don't think he's going to be playing on hard mode his first right. season. So he'll be set up to succeed. Now, obviously, he has to execute. But um, I'm pretty optimistic. Yeah. Um. Again, like 
21 passes is not a lot to be yeah. <laughs> like really get carried away with, but just what he showed in those is still more than I was ready to think because I was not really a fan of his coming out after what he did um, in college, some of the inaccuracies, but just even like just having some of that quick stuff and the, those anticipation throws, it just kind of shows there's, there's a little, there's yeah. something there. All right. What's more, oh, Robert Smith dis asks, what's more likely the Pats move on from Mac Jones at some point this year or pick up his fifth year option? So I, I figured we should just talk about Mac Jones and the situation he's in right now, because that is um, a topic of great concern amongst Patriots fans. Um, you know, the, the feeling that the Pats didn't do enough to improve his circumstances this offseason coming off of a draft where the first three rounds, they go defense after everyone projects them to take a wide receiver, offensive tackle, very Patriots draft. I like the players they took a lot, by the way, but that's that's yeah. separate from this. Um, very Patriots draft. Um, so just to kind of recap, uh, at wide receiver, you're looking at Pretty similar group to last year with the exception of replacing Juju, replacing Jacoby Myers. But otherwise, it's Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, who maybe now that um, Patricia's gone will be used because uh, he's – I'm sure he's not in Bill O'Brien's doghouse yet. Uh, Tyquan yeah. Thornton. Uh, and then at tight end, you got uh, Mike Gesicki, which I, was a pretty big addition, and Hunter Henry, Stevenson, Ty Montgomery. Offensive line's mostly the same. Riley Wright Reef is at right tackle, which is a little alarming. Um, and then, of course, the big change, replacing Matt Patricia with Bill O'Brien. So I guess, you know, we just talked about how we both believe Jordan Love is being in a, put in a pretty good position. How do you feel about the position that Mac Jones is in this year? Yeah, that's super interesting. Where There was just so much going on with that <laughs> scheme last year, which, like, there, there wasn't a scheme. Um and like there were reports that Mac Jones was calling people at Alabama to ask, like, are we doing this right? Like, what is the right way we should be doing this? I live for all the Mac Jones in like uh, complaining stories from last year because it it is oh, they were so amazing. easy to side with him. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah, it was um, a quick game, it, right? Which. You know, and and the weird thing is when you kind of look at what his play was like from a clean pocket when everything was going well, it was about the same as it was in 2021. Mm. But when things started going poorly, uh, either when he was blitzed or under pressure, that's when things just completely went off the rails. And it's kind of what you would expect for someone who never ran an offense before in Matt Patricia. There were no answers to things that went wrong, right? So like they didn't understand how do you, you know, throw hot against the blitz uh it's like 22 percent of mac jones pass attempts against the blitz were to go routes and like that's not what you should be doing for mac jones right so every all like, the, he, the entire deep passing game was an abomination in new england yeah last year, it was insane way. so that was easily the highest uh, in the league against the blitz like the next highest was russell wilson at 15.6 percent. Wow. so it's just like a complete outlier in how they tried to handle that so you kind of hope Bill O'Brien at least has like that ability to have answers when things are not going the way they're supposed to. You know, I don't think there's going to be a huge fundamental change because you know, we kind of know 
Mac Jones did his best when it was going to be that like under center play action. That's what the idea was going to be last year until they couldn't figure out how to install it. So they went back to shotgun, like no play action. And that's kind of what Bill O'Brien's going to be doing. So I don't know if it's going to be like a full fundamental shift in the scheme Hmm. to like that extent, but at least like there's going to be I like competency in what that scheme is doing, which I think is already a help. Yeah, I think there'll be a little bit more cohesion in terms of like attacking defenses based yeah. on weaknesses and coverages, getting mismatches, creating easier answers for Jones. Um, you're right; like he'll still prop it'll still probably be like a lot of the under center. Well. <laughs> It's interesting because there's been different iterations of Bill O'Brien too, so I'm almost reluctant to say this is what the offense is going to look like. I suspect it'll be kind of like a hybrid of what we saw year one with New England, some of the stuff Mac Jones did in college well in terms of the spread RPO stuff, putting him in empty, attacking the middle of the field. Um, But I think most important is just kind of the overall design of drives. I think that's what always kind of – struck me about uh, the offense last year is it just looked totally disconnected play to play drive to drive. You never felt like they were setting people up. So um, guys, the, you know, the wide receiver group uh, was also very challenged. And so I think even though the group of skill players is largely the same, I suspect they'll be deployed better. I mean, the other thing is like, you know, so O'Brien um, for those who forgot was with new England during the, the great two tight end era of Krakowski and uh, another guy. Uh, and um, I, I actually think Gesicki and Henry, I mean, it, it's different, obviously. Neither yeah. of these guys are Gronk or whatever, but it's like that, like the Patriots and 12 personnel are going to be pretty solid. Like that's a good group. Um, yeah. And I suspect we'll see a lot of it. Yeah, it probably is. Gesicki is interesting because like he's kind of this, I, the, idea of him is good but kind of when you put him in practice is like he's kind of just a slot receiver so he's not moving around as much as like you would kind of hope that kind of build of tight end is so i think sometimes that can make you more static than you would think a player like gaseki could potentially be so how creative they are with him how much they can move him around the fact that you know mike mcdonald one of the most like creative play callers we've seen which is kind of like yeah just stay out in the slot and will kind of scheme around you. Um, so I'm not totally sure what, the, but that's probably is going to be one of their better formations, even if, you know, he's not, you know, this version that we kind of thought he might've been coming out. They really, like last year, could not figure out John Smith as <laughs> yeah. the potential move tight end. To, and yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how he is deployed. Um, I think, um, I still, I, I do have concerns about the offensive line. I mentioned Reef, and I think the depth is also not great. And obviously, they went through like a bunch of different iterations and shuffled guys a lot last year, which is never, never particularly good. But I, I, I generally, I generally believe to actually like kind of go back to the question that the overall like core competency and, and, and by the way, I like the Juju signing, which I've talked about, whatever. But I could see this offense being average. Like that is something, and I think the defense is going to, is going to be awesome. So, but you know, I could see the offense being average. So the question is, okay, well, what's good enough to keep Mac Jones, pick up the fifth year option. 
Well, if you get him kind of back to how he looked his first year, which was, again, like a pretty average-ish offense, it's hard for me to imagine them not picking it up, honestly. Like, I don't... And that some of that is also based on their behavior. Like, there's been rumors, a lot of rumors. Oh, the Patriots are going to look at someone in the draft. Oh, they're going to, you know, they're calling, they should call them. Like, and they've just never done anything. Like, they have not made any concrete efforts to move past Jones. So I don't know why I would believe that if he got back to his first year, they wouldn't stick with him. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, that is, it's, so much of a different bar between like what we just said Jordan Love has to return and like what Mac Jones, I think like what does that average look like for Mac Jones, I think is would probably be yeah. uh, a big key here. And like the other interesting thing is for the Patriots is what they're set up for in like 2024, uh, where they have the second most cap space right now. Um you know, the free agents are going to be Hunter Henry, Devontae Parker, Kendrick Board, Mike Kosicki, Trent Brown, like all these guys that we just talked about, they're all in the last year of their contract this year. So if they did want to kind of wipe the slate clean and think about it, you know, they have that ability. Such an interesting team because it's like, does Bill Belichick want to, like, what would it look, because, you know, I guess if he has the opportunity to like push his chips in again and try to compete, would he believe that Mac Jones is good enough? You know, would he, why wouldn't he want to upgrade a quarterback if Jones doesn't take a dramatic leap? uh, Right. That's Yeah. That's my question is at his age, would he rather try to figure it out with an average quarterback or just go down swinging, trying to get a little better in that division, which is, yeah. Crazy now. Okay. Uh, Noah253 says, the Seahawks seem to still need help with the pass rush. Correct. Uh, is there out, someone out there as a free agent or a trade? The Seahawks should target. I think we're looking pretty solid otherwise. So the Seahawks uh, defensive front right now, assuming they stick with the 3-4, you've got Draymond Jones, who was a signing that I did like. Um, and they actually need a nose tackle as well. It's like Brian Moan right now and no one else. So that's a sneaky need. Jaron Reed. Uh, and then pass rush wise, you've got Uchenna Nuosu, who was very good last year. I don't think he's, I've said this, I don't think he's like a number, he doesn't, he's like the perfect number two pass rusher. Um, Boye Mafe, who they drafted last year, Daryl Taylor drafted a few years ago, and then Derek Call, who they drafted this year out of Auburn in the second round. Um, that is not a very strong unit. Um, Last week, Dominique and I talked about how they decided to double down on coverage with their, not just actually the the drafting of Devin Witherspoon, but also some of the moves that they've made in you know free agency, bringing in Julian Love. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of three safety looks out of this team, which is cool, but it's very unclear if they're going to get to the quarterback and how uh, they finished 28th in pass rush win rate last year. So there's an ongoing issue with them. So, Okay, so starting from the point, I think we both agree that it's it's not the best group. The actual question was, is there anyone out there? So I'll just read all the free agents. Tell me if any of them intrigue you. <laughs> um, and by the way, the CX don't have a lot of money. Um, Leonard Floyd, Frank Clark, Robert Quinn, Yannick Ngakwe, Shevin Clowney, 
Marcus Golden, Melvin Ingram, Justin Houston, Carlos Dunlap. A lot of former Seahawks on that list, which kind of color uh, speaks to um, how how bad and in in consistent their pass rushing group has been since the days of Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill. So what do you think of that group? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting group and it's probably going to be like a bunch of, you know, rotational guys, guys that who, you know, have flashed a little bit. The name that did stand out to me a little bit, and it's probably not going to be a name that that stands out to most people, but Marcus Golden. Yes. Yes. Golden. That's the one. I think Marcus Golden is one of the most (laughs) underrated, super underrated, like edge players in the league right now. Uh, So he had 20 quarterback hits last year. Um, Over the past three years, he's 14th. Um, He only had two and a half sacks last year, but you know, he was getting to the quarterback. He's not a guy who wins like quickly off the line. And that may be, you know, a Seahawks problem a little bit because they didn't get a lot of quick pressure, Uh, but he's someone who will heavily pursue everything. And like, he will get to the quarterback and impact. Also good run defender. He was ninth among edges in run stop win rate last year. Um, So that helps the Seattle run defense that kind of is lacking too. So you kind of get both sides there. Um, I think he'd be, you know, a real interesting fit and probably a good one and kind of fits where they are in cap space and kind of yeah. the type of player they're looking for. Yeah. If I remember correctly, he, he probably made, I think it was like one point something million last year, not a lot of money. So in terms of just like bang for your buck, looking at production and then cross referencing it with potential salary, he to me stands out on that list. He, I've always thought he was underrated. I thought he was super underrated in Arizona, uh, and um, I, so I've always liked him as a player. And I just looking at the rest of the list, it really is all kind of situational guys, and a lot of guys who I think over the last year, two years, you've seen ups and downs um, from. So my feeling is. For a team like Seattle, that's pretty pressed on cap. Um, and also, you know, I, I, I don't know if their history with some of these guys would make it more or less likely that they would sign him. But to me, that I agree with you that Golden jumps out as the name that I would go after. Um, it's it's interesting. It's a long list of vets. Um, yeah, there it's are funny, a lot like, of guys still out there. It's for, and then there's some teams like Baltimore seems to always sign one of these guys at the end of the summer and then they'll get like, nine sacks and everyone's confused yeah. why that doesn't seem to work out for Seattle. <laughs> they did hire a pass rush specialist recently, which I thought was interesting. Um, I don't want to rule out the possibility that you see a leap from, um, you know, Mafe who's young, obviously, yeah. or, or Derek Hall, we haven't seen at all. I did get to watch a little bit of him after the draft and he's, he's an interesting player. I think um, w- he has really cool traits in terms yeah. of his athleticism and his speed, but I'm not sure he'll be an impactful pass rusher day one in the NFL because he is still figuring out how to be a pass rusher. Um, so yeah, I, I do think that they need some help there. Trade wise, no one, I mean, yeah. Darius Smith is probably still out there, but he's too expensive, I think for Seattle. And I don't, I wouldn't go for that probably. So yeah, I don't think I'm leaving anyone out. I haven't seen any names. All right. Well, speaking of trade candidates, that brings me to the Jake Holton 12's question, which is, do you think the Bengals have done enough in defense and offensive lines to challenge Chiefs for the number one seat? Well, they're challenging the Chiefs already. Like, they, you know, they're almost beating them like last year. So or they beat them last year. They didn't beat them. But any case, um, two separate questions, the defensive lines and the offensive lines, two separate answers from me. Uh, I'll just start out. 
I think that the I am much more excited about the Bengals' defensive line right now than their offensive line because I um, I'm very worried about what happens if they trade Jonah Williams. And so the latest on this, so Jonah Williams, for those who have forgotten, Bengals left tackle, first round draft pick. They sign Orlando Brown to play left tackle. Jonah Williams says, that's cool. Peace. I want out. I'm a left tackle. Uh, so th- nothing happens in the draft. He's not traded. So there's this thought, okay, well, maybe he'll be okay playing right tackle. He played some right tackle in college. But apparently this is still very much a realistic possibility that he gets traded, that he does not want to be a Cincinnati Bengal, at which point you start looking at the scary depth that we tend to look at with the Bengals at the end of the year, (laughs) every year now. You know the names. (laughs) I don't need to bring them up. So I guess let's start there. Like, How worried are you about the offensive line if they actually do trade Jonah Williams? I am slightly less worried than I might have been because there was a switch that kind of flipped for Joe Burrow in the middle of the year where he was just like, I'm just not going to take sacks anymore. Um, and kind of that was his big thing. He would kind of extend plays a little more than he probably should have and had such a high sack rate. Uh, but then kind of when the Bengals shifted to that like almost shotgun exclusive offense around like week you know mm-hmm. six or seven, um, you know, he had the highest rate of throws under two and a half seconds, which helps protect the offensive line there. And then he had yeah. the 10th lowest sack rate from that point on. Um, and like that was one of his big problems over the first a couple of years. So I kind of think he's putting a little more on his shoulders to help out the offensive yeah. line. So I'm not quite as worried there because I think as long as they're fine, that's probably going to be something the Bengals can win with based mm-hmm. on how they're figuring out what the rest of the offense can do. One concern I would have is like the other thing that people thought the Bengals would address is tight end. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think a huge reason why they ended up not going to the Super Bowl was, um, God, am I remembering this correctly? It was Tyler Boyd got hurt, right? About halfway through the game against Kansas City. Yes, I'm almost confident that's what happened. And I think to your point about like Joe Burrow, he gets rid of the ball so quickly. Um, part of the reason they were they got they 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 improved so much against particularly like split safety looks, which he struggled against earlier in the season, was um, Boyd and Hurst. And I think that's another thing I, I would be a little bit concerned about in terms of like just having like those quick outlets for. I mean, Boyd's still on the team, but like having you know a, a tight end who's an outlet for him. I don't know who even who the starting tight end. They, they signed someone, right? Uh, Irv Smith. Yeah, which yeah doesn't ex- doesn't excite you, um, you know. Yeah, kind of Devin Asiasi, Drew Sample. Yeah, the the tight end position is not great, but I think they're gonna live in eleven. I think they're. Yeah. I mean, I, I still like the kind of guys they can rotate in behind Boyd. Like Trent Taylor was doing some yeah. stuff. Trent Irwin was doing some stuff last Trent year. Irwin. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it kind of went uh, off, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the two guys they ended up drafting, you know, Charlie Jones, um, mm. you know, kind of a smaller, shifty slot guy who made a lot out of not a lot in his college offense. Um, and then Andre Isovis, I still have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right, from Princeton. He's just like a super athlete. Not, not going to pretend I watched a single second of this man. Princeton. Uh, 
Princeton. Um, it did real, real well at the senior bowl. Um, yeah. you know, just a, he's super athletic type of guy. So I think their receiver rotation is good. And when you have Chase and Higgins, mm. who it seems like they're going to be committed to long-term, because yeah. I think if you come out and you don't trade Higgins this off season, okay. you've kind of committed that you're going to be signing him to an extension. And this is kind of what they're going to have to figure out, right? Because you have the extensions for the three main offensive guys coming up. So this is probably your last hurrah really with these guys on the cap hits that they have. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that goes to the defensive side of the ball too, where I think this is like a Luana Rumo heat check kind of season. (laughs) It Uh, is. It very much is, especially on the back end. However, I did like the guys that they drafted. I like them for Cincinnati in particular. Like I, when I talked about Miles Murphy, the pass rusher out of Clemson, you know, I expressed some questions about him as like a top half of the draft guy because at times it seemed like he would go like in the first fifteen. For him to fall to Cincinnati, where he can be used situation situationally, um, you know, and pass rush packages, I think is a really really great landing spot next to um in the the dj and bj and uh you know i i think um right now when i look at their edge their edge depth you, know, you got hubbard murphy hendrickson osai i think that's a group you feel pretty good about frankly going into the season and a group that if this defensive line is is healthy i think should improve upon what we saw last year the, you know quietly like not great numbers as a unit as a position group rather last year um but through scheme. And then I think some of the play of the secondary ended up being not a huge issue, but I think that that's a group that I would, I, I feel better about them this year than I did last year. Um, yeah, I, I, I do worry about safety and, you know, um, we'll see what happens at corner. If they, right now it's still not, they drafted DJ Turner and Jordan battle in the secondary who are both, by the way, like interesting players, but it's a lot. It's a lot for, for Anarumo. Uh, it's a lot of young players there. I mean, they signed Nick Scott, who was who played a lot for the Rams in the Super Bowl run and then kind of fell out a little bit last year. Um, Dax Hill's got to take a step. It's going to be challenging. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, they, the Lou Anarumo defense is just kind of putting guys in position to win and they try a whole bunch of stuff to see what works. Um, you know, you said they're, you know, the overall pressure numbers weren't great, but they don't always care about pressure because they yeah. rush three at the highest rate in the league. That's usually a change up. They're given to, uh, you know, give a whole bunch of different looks, you know, when they just play like every type of coverage in the league, they're like average just straight across when you look at the every, everything. So they're going to just be throwing a whole bunch of stuff out. And, they, you know, they're another team that is really interesting looking at like what this future is going to be. Like I say, it's a Lou and a Rumo heat check season because like this is going to have to be kind of how they play defense a little bit, replacing these guys that they lost. Uh, when you, you know, talk about Von Bell and, and Jesse Bass and the whole safety yeah. is out. And then you look at, at next year, um, it's, um, who's it? Uh, Chidobi Awuzie is a free agent, DJ Reader, Logan Wilson, uh, Trey Hendrickson has no guaranteed mm. salary after this year. So this is kind of, this might just kind of be what the Bengals have to do. Uh, so I'm really interested in what the defense looks like this year because yeah, no, it's it, this is just kind of the path they have to go down. Because a couple years ago is when they all their free agents kind of hit. Like yeah. 
they got you know all these low cost signings that worked out really well, and now it's it's not really free agents; it's young guys in how in it's going to be about internal development. Um, keeping Anarimo was probably the biggest coup of all for them, so yeah. we'll see how that looks, and we'll see what happens with Jonah Williams. Uh, let's take a quick break, come back, and uh, get back to these questions. Tickets to the game, merch, meals at iconic restaurants, stays at Caesars Palace, all this can be yours when you bet with Caesars Sportsbook. Win or lose, every bet earns reward credits, which you can redeem across the empire. Now, if you haven't started yet, register using code OMAHAFULL, and then place your first bet up to $1,250. If you win, great, keep those winnings. But if you lose, you'll get your stake back as a bonus bet. 21 and older only, offer valid and must be physically present in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, Massachusetts, Maryland, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming only. New users and first $10 plus wagers only. Must register with an eligible promo code. Bet amount of qualifying wager returned only if wager is settled as a loss. Maximum bonus bet, $1,250. Bonus bet expires 14 days after receipt. Tier credits and reward credits will be added to the account within seven days after qualifying wager settles. See caesars.com slash promos for full terms. Void where prohibited. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, affiliated with Kansas Crossing Casino, call 1-800-522-4700. Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Iowa, call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. Licensed through Horseshoe, Bossier City, and Harris, New Orleans. Massachusetts, call 1-800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. Michigan, call 1-800-270-7117. Illinois, Maryland, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, affiliated with Harris, Philadelphia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537 or in West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Mina Show today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Mina Show, M-I-N-A-S-H-O-W. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. And I have to say, speaking from experience, recently, having tried it for the first time in Detroit, it is absolutely delicious. Right now, you can get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Okay, I love this question from Liam Sars. To even out the NFC and the AFC, which teams would you swap? So I'm sure this can be quantified by, you know, win projections and whatever. The AFC is way better than the NFC right now. Uh, yeah. No dispute. 
So my approach to this question was to basically look at the best and worst divisions. So uh, my feeling is take a team from the AFC East and a team from the NFC South and swap is what I chose. And then I also tried to be mindful of geography. I didn't want like, you know, some team in the West Coast ending up in the East yeah. Coast or whatever. So the teams I decided on from the AFC East, I am taking the Miami Dolphins, putting them in the NFC South. Makes sense. They're Southeast. And it was hard to decide which team to take from the NFC South, but I decided to go with one of the like the younger teams that's like kind of on the rise just timeline-wise. So I moved the Panthers to the AFC East. Um, I believe if that were to happen, the Dolphins would be instantly favorites to win the NFC South. And frankly, probably amongst the three or four teams favored to come out of the NFC. I mean, let, let's, let's game this out. If the Dolphins were in the NFC, the situation that I've suggested, who would you put above them in the NFC? Philly and San Francisco? Yeah, maybe Dallas. I'd have to think about that. There's a Dallas yeah. question. We'll get to Dallas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, probably on about the same tier as Dallas. Um, yeah. You know, we'll talk about Dallas, but I have a little more faith in a Miami coaching staff than I currently yeah. do for Dallas. But yeah, so I, I kind of did the same thing. I just tried to switch one team in each division, which yeah. was harder when it got to the South. Uh, but I switched Miami and Washington in the East, um, Baltimore mm. and Chicago in the North, uh, the Chargers and the Rams, and then Jacksonville and Carolina. Okay. So wow. I, I like really kind of mixed it up. Okay, so wait, who are the four teams that you're sending to the NFC? Miami, Miami, Baltimore, the Chargers, and Jaguars. Now the NFC's loaded. Wait, then who went to the AFC? Washington, Chicago, the Rams, and Carolina. Ooh, yeah, that would really... With your rebalancing, I actually think... I'd have to look at all the teams in some, but the NFC might be better than the AFC if you did all of those changes. It would probably take two teams. We'd probably have to split the difference to like really make it more even. Right. I think two teams would probably do the trick if they were both really good teams. So like if you moved Miami and Baltimore to the NFC, I think that would probably. Which is probably where I should have stopped because I took Dude. way too long thinking about how <laughs> the other two divisions would switch. Uh, but yeah, I think it kind of gives, it shakes up the middle tier at least. Yeah. I think in the AFC. So, yeah. I mean, I think Baltimore, I would basically, and I think this is, I view Baltimore and Miami as being in pretty similar tiers if I tier the AFC. So, I think if I moved them both to the NFC, it would have the effect of what you just described, which is or what, what you described when I asked you about the Dolphins, which is I still think you'd have like the Eagles and the Niners probably on, I can't believe freaking putting the Niners in tier one with question mark at quarterback. Yeah, who knows? And then I would put the Ravens and um, the Dolphins in that like second tier. Potentially, I might move the Niners into that tier as well. I'm putting the Niners. I can't put the Niners in the same tier as Philadelphia if I don't know who's playing quarterback week one. It's disgusting. Um, but yeah, I think I think that would do the trick. I, yes, the AFC, I mean, well, when the Rodgers trade happened, I think I was like, 
oh, the AFC East is going to be a bloodbath, you know, and people correctly were like, well, you said that about the AFC West last year. And, you know, which is correct. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I thought the AFC West would be awesome. So I, you know, it's entirely possible that the AFC East is not as good as we think. Um, and it's also, you know, I, I don't think anyone puts New England in one of those top two tiers. So it's right. not, I think, you know, with the AFC West last year, the thought was that the Raiders would be better too. But um, mm, Bills, Jets, or yeah, Bills, Jets, Dolphins is, I actually still haven't decided how I'm going to end up, tier, you know, ordering them, power ranking them or whatever. Try to avoid it as long as I can. Yeah, we got some time, but that is, it's a fun it's a fun top three in that division. Probably the yeah, potentially the most fun the AFC East has been in a while. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's talk about the Falcons. Corbin Miles, Core 5 Ben asks, what do you think of the Falcons' offseason and potential this year? So, uh, so I've been talking about the Falcons with the draft, which is very different from talking about the Falcons' season and what's going to sure. happen. Yep. Um, I do think, however, it is worth taking a, a, a minute. You know, so I, I was looking at the Falcons depth chart to before to think about this question, to look at who they added and think about how good they might be. And it's funny that we were just talking about the Niners because if, effectively what the Niners did was they went all in on a quarterback and they're like, no, 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 no. It turns out our massive edge is just having this like group of, you know, monsters at skill player where we can create mismatches and dominate every team in the NFL. It doesn't really matter who the quarterback is. We just need like a point shoot guy um, with like a little bit of spice to him and Purdy. And that's how you end up with them choosing, you know, Purdy over Lance, which is what they've basically done. Falcons are kind of doing the same thing. So now in three consecutive drafts, they've gone Pitts at four, London at, it was 11 or 10, or I think 11, right? Or, Something like that. Yeah. And then Bijan now at eight, they are taking the top skill players every year. They are effectively, and that doesn't mean they don't believe in Desmond Ritter. I don't know what they actually think of him internally. We can talk about that because obviously it's pertinent to this question. But essentially, kind of similar to San Francisco. They're saying, okay, you guys are all out there looking for Anthony Richardson and your mutant quarterbacks who are going to elevate the offense. We're going to zig and try to elevate everything else around the quarterback. It's an interesting strategy, Dan. Like when you really kind of step back and look at everything they've done the last few years, it's kind of like they've, in three of those drafts, they said, we are not going to take quarterback in the first round. And they had the option to do so in every single one of them. Yeah. And I feel like we're talking about this strategy differently if Mariota was able to like hit some open receivers last year <laughs> because like this this should have yeah. already worked right kind of so did a little bit too it, it did yeah. they were already like a decent enough there was enough like football nerd writers and I believe I was one of them who were like the Falcons are doing some really cool things uh it's during points of of last season um but and they were like they were getting open. There should have been big plays. I know the, the fantasy community is out on like Kyle Pitts, but like he, he was getting open. He was getting targets. So there were 152 wide receivers and tight ends with at least 200 routes run. Among them, Kyle Pitts was second in an inaccurate target percentage. Olamide Zacchaeus was eighth and Drake London was 18th. 
Mm. So they had three top 20 guys in inaccurate target percentage. So like these guys were open. There were big plays that should have been there that just weren't hit. And I think we're having a much different conversation about the potential yeah. of this Falcons offense if some of those plays were already there. And like, I still think they're going to be on the table for Ritter. So that, and I think that's the, to bring it back to the question, which is like, how good are they going to be? Like Ritter doesn't have to be great. Yeah. <laughs> he just has to hit Holman dudes, you know? And I think they're going to lean into his dual threat ability. I thought he did look decent at the end of the year in relief, um, you know, in the, in the four games that he played, especially as the year went on, went along. Um, but I, but like I, I just keep going back to he, he's, this is, it's not the Niners. I'm not saying Drake London and right Pitts and, you know, and Bijan and Janu they brought in. I'm mm-hmm. not saying it's the same thing, but it's about as similar as an approach as you're going to see in the NFL to a coach who, by the way, Arthur Smith, obviously very sh- shared DNA. Look how she had hand. Um, it says, I'm building this mech suit and I just need a guy to sit in and pull the levers. And I don't hate that strategy offensively, especially if like, you know, they don't, they didn't love, they clearly didn't love the quarterback. They didn't love Justin Fields. You know, they never had a shot at Lawrence, for example. Um, so that's optimistic. I am still dubious about this defense. Uh, they did make a lot of additions in free agency, you know, Bates, Jesse Bates, safety, Onyemata, Clayus Campbell, Bud Dupree, Kate Nellis. They signed Mike Hughes, which I totally missed. Uh, <laughs> just a signing I like. Uh, trade for Jeff Okuda. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't think I'm missing any of the big ones. No. And they bring in a new defensive coordinator, Ryan Nielsen, from New Orleans, which I think is is is, is a good hire. Or sounds like a good hire based on you know what we saw from the New Orleans defensive line. Right. Um, so I... I think they're going to be better, especially because of just, you know, there's a lot of competent veterans, but we are talking about a defense that last year finished 26th in pass rush win rate, 32nd in pressure rate, 32nd in stack. I mean, you just, whatever, choose your metric. They suck at getting after the quarterback. And when I look at the pass rush, I'm like, "Eh, is it good enough to win the NFC South with a good offense? Probably. But beyond that, I don't know if I believe this defense is going to be good enough. Yeah, and that's that's the thing that stands out. This this pass rush is not great. I mean, they signed Bud Dupree was their like big signing there, and that, that doesn't really do much for me. Um, you know, Arnold Abiquetti was I think mean, has some flashes and like could develop into like a, a decent pass rush guy. Um, but there's just not a lot more there. And, and when you said like there is a lot of competency elsewhere on the defense, but like that still is, is quite a hole. But I think one of the things, um, I think it was the, I saw an interview with, with Cam Jordan, who was talking about Ryan Nielsen. He was like, even if they don't have pass rushers, like he'll figure out a way to create some pressure, which I think is one of the, and like Caden Ellis, who comes over as the linebacker, he rushed the passer on 30% of his pass snaps last year. So like there's, you know, some ways they can manufacture some pressure in that way, even if they don't have great edge rushers. Um, And then, you know, you have Grady Jarrett, who's, you know, Grady Jarrett, uh, Clay's Campbell, adding Clay's Campbell to this line is, is a lot of fun. Um, So I think you might have some more interior pressure than they definitely did last year, which could probably also help kind of cover up what they're lacking on the edge. 
Yeah, like Onimata, Jarrett, Campbell, obviously all on the back nine of their careers. Also good players, though. Yeah. You know, they're all still good players. And that's um, the Falcons did not have that last year. No. Like that is a complete 180. Uh great Jared must be looking around like, thank God. I'm no longer sustained. Like the dude, God, there were Falcons defensive linemen over the last three years where I would just I just didn't know who I would just be watching and be like, I didn't know that man was on this team. Um credit to the Falcons, by the way, for like completely um rebuilding their offensive line which is suddenly like a strength, particularly in run blocking, of course. And then they drafted the kid out of Syracuse this year. But like they stunk just like three years ago. It was a horrible unit. And now suddenly it looks like a pretty good group, which is, again, one of the reasons why I think Ritter will be fine as long as, um, you know, whether he's going to elevate the offense, I don't know. I think that's the big question mark. And I think that could end up being the difference whether they actually win the division, they actually have, you know, potential to make some noise in the playoffs and it's an open question. Um, yeah. So to answer your question, I think they're, the off season, they're going to be better. There are things I liked. Um, you know, the Bijan pick is, is a totally, we talked about that at length in terms of when you look at that, you're looking at a longer term view, but in the short term, obviously it's going to be sick. Okay. Um, so I promised Vikings fans that we would talk about the Vikings. Let's bounce there. I got a couple of Vikings questions. I'm kind of going to put them together. Soulful Nine, I think her name's Christine, uh, says, if you're Minnesota, what do you do about the QB situation, next year's draft, extend Cousins, trade, and uh, Mesh Key uh, ATC uh, says, can you touch on the Vikings offseason? Started to look like we're going to score 50 and throw it all over the yard and hopefully don't let you score 55 type of model. So I, I kind of think these things are actually a little related to, um, but let's start with the off season and then kind of get to cousins because I kind of think it flows from that. Um, so yeah, I think really what, what you're looking at here in terms of like what he's suggesting, which is, you know, that the Vikings, they're going to be very offensively focused is, well, it starts with the draft, which is I think a lot of folks expected the Vikings to go corner in the draft, and they drafted Jordan Addison, um, who's a wide receiver, and uh, you know I think cornerback remains a question mark on this team that we can get to. Um, yeah. I think that the offense, and we'll see what happens to Dalvin Cook, who remains a trade candidate, although I don't, it was hard for me to find a trade partner, frankly. Right. I think the offense is going to be good. I'll start yeah. there. Uh, yeah. I really, I the Addison pick on its own, separate from whether or not they should have taken a corner. Um, I know, you know, I, I was I was higher on him than some. Um, I I understand the questions about his size, but I really just think he has elite separation skills. I really like his route running, and most importantly, he joins a Vikings offense that last year had one receiver, Justin Jefferson, who ranked fifth in yards per route run, which we like to look at. Assuming you, as well. So look at wide receiver productivity and usage, yep. and not another wide receiver in the top one hundred. Not another one. TJ Hawkinson, who joined the team midseason, ended up at, you know, 51st. So, you know, Justin Jefferson, all those games where he was doubled and bracketed and they weren't worried about Adam Thielen separating or, you know, I mean, KJ Osborne is, is, is a useful player, but 
things are going to be so different for him <laughs> with the presence of another wide receiver who can threaten uh, at all three levels, really. And I think the Vikings and Kevin O'Connell, that offense is a really good landing sp- place for Addison in terms of um, playing to his strengths, finding ways to hide his weaknesses. You know, he won't have to beat press as much in this offense, which is so condensed and they can hide him, you know, using the for- formation. So I, I think I-, I wouldn't be surprised if this passing game looks way better than it did last year. And I think in doing so, they're going to be a lot of, it's going to be an easier time for whoever is running the football. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm with you on Addison when I loved him as a prospect. He's just like, like that, even back, like watching Kenny Pickett for last year's yeah. draft, like my main takeaway was, oh, Jordan Addison is really good. Um, and so he had three, more than three yards per route run in two different offenses in, in back-to-back years. Um, so he's just, he's a guy who, who wins and like, he just understands how to play receiver. So obviously there, there are the, the size issues and he didn't have the greatest straight line speed, but he's just a guy who, who knows how to get open. And then, like you said, there was a fundamental shift in what the Vikings were able to do on offense when TJ Hawkinson came over Yeah, because before that they had absolutely no secondary threat. And Justin Jefferson was kind of playing that shallow, I have to bail Kirk Cousins out here type of role. And then TJ Hawkinson came over and Justin Jefferson was allowed to then be Justin Jefferson as TJ Hawkinson took over some of more of the, you know, the middle of the field stuff. Um, Kirk Cousins, a dot shot way up. Um, Justin Jefferson's a dot uh, shot way up. Um, he was playing an empty uh, a little more. He went only 4.4% of Kirk Cousins' throws were over 20 air yards before Hawkinson. That went up to 12.8% post-Hawkinson. And now you add Jordan Addison to that, who is a legitimate second wide receiver. So you ha- are going to have three actual passing yeah. threats. And I think Kevin O'Connell did a really good job of, of scheming some things open, especially toward the end of the year. Uh, I'm really excited to see what that offense is going to be. And then, like you said, I think that's going to help the run game because they they lived in 11 personnel, but no one really cared. So they still didn't have a lot of light boxes, um, like even when they were trying to run from 11. Yeah. And they were terrible at running from 11. They had uh, the highest rate of runs that went for zero or negative yards when they were running from 11. And it's just like, once you mm. open that up a little mm. bit, I think that's going to help everything. That's going to connect some of the offense too. So I am really excited for what this offense can potentially be. I expect him to also use Jefferson, or both both Jefferson, and, but I was going to say Addison, um, you know, it, it, when they're in 11 personnel, it's it's not a one-for-one with the Rams offense in terms of like, Right, Jordan Addison is not Robert Woods or Cooper Cup, but I think they can. He he. There will be a lot of pre-snap motion, and I think that's also going to help the run game too. Um, just in terms of moving second-level defenders around and creating uncertainty. So, yeah, I'm excited about the offense. The defense, I don't know, man. Uh, you're basically counting on the guys you drafted last year to be good. That's, I mean, yeah. Their big signing was Marcus Davenport, who, if he's healthy, I think should help with the pass rush. God knows what the deal is with Zedarius Smith right now. I think he still wants out. Um, but secondary, oh yeah, so the other big signing was um, Byron Murphy. 
you know, they did bring in, um, obviously, I, I do think Brian Flores' defensive coordinator will help a lot, especially, you know, given how passive the scheme was. Yep. And I and every other person on earth just tore their hair out watching it at Donatelle's defense. But I also questioned whether he has the horses back there. Uh, you know, so you need Lewis Seam Jr., the safety, barely played, Andrew Booth Jr., cornerback, barely played, both drafted early last season. I would say at least one of them needs to be a good player for me to feel okay about this defense because the secondary otherwise is a big question mark. Yeah, I, I think that's the key. The development of that 2022 class is if if they hit on some of those guys, then the defense can probably be okay. I was a big fan of Lewisine coming out. Yeah. Um, you know, the one like true deep safety in that class, which I think could help in a Brian Flores type of defense. Um so it seems like he's going to be back on track and kind of ready to go for some off-season workouts. So I'm I'm still excited about what he can do. Um, but yeah, like you said, both him and, and Booth were hurt. Uh, Brian Asamoa, who they drafted in the third round, he only played like 10% of the defensive snaps, uh, but it's probably going to be in a bigger role this year. So if, if those guys can develop a little bit, then I think you're starting to to get maybe something, but you're right. It's a lot of unknowns right now, but again, like this defense can maybe be average and just not give up as many big plays as they did yeah. last year too. And I think that's probably a big key also. And I think the, the big question is, okay, so this is the Vikings are a team that we now all accept got very lucky last year and yeah. is obviously a regression candidate. However, can they improve enough on offense to save that off? Can the defense being even just average um, make a mark there? I think that's a re- it's a total a reasonable possibility that um, I don't you know I don't think they're going to be one of the better teams um, in the NFL or anything like that. But in terms of like winning the division and competing in a uh, lesser NFC, I think those two things would have to happen. And then if those things happen. Uh, we get to this interesting place with Kirk Cousins, which brings me back to the the, the Cousins extension question. Um, everything the Vikings have done suggests that they are ready to move on from Cousins in terms of how they've approached his contract, uh, which they can now they finally can move on. However, you and I both think the offense can be pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean, not like you know, amazing, but you know, I'm I'm optimistic, so. I don't know what the front office will do if he has a good season, frankly, because they could end up in like that no man's land where they're not in position to draft one of the, you know, the two studs next year in the draft. You never know who's available these years, these days, but realistically, will they be able to upgrade from cousins next off season? I question that. However, he will probably command a lot of money if he, if he plays well. Yeah, I feel like that's a risk they're willing to take at this point to wait and see. Like the, the Cousins thing was interesting and, and he did play better, you know, efficiency wise, like once that Hawkinson trade happened. But it was kind of when you look at like EPA or DVOA, it was his worst year. Uh, usually, like the Vikings offense is kind of fine and like yeah. cousins looks great by like dvoa or epa but it was CPU, the complete opposite yeah. last year um where the vikings were winning every game and it was his worst by efficiency but he was also yeah. like doing some good stuff kind of like watched him there were some better processing uh and things so you know 
I, I think you're right. They made it clear by not extending him this year um, that they want to leave their options open. Right, Gilby has a twenty million dollar cap hit this year, um, but $28 million in dead cap next year because of uh, the void years that they have uh, on the deal. So it's a thing where they they could have figured some, some something out to maybe lessen that a little bit, but it, it kind of seems like there's just going to be a wait and see type thing. We'll, yeah. we'll see how he plays. We'll see maybe who be available. I know like Trey Lance was a you know, rumored trade piece, but I, I don't understand that at this point. Cause then you kind of get to the Jordan love situation where he's not going to play until his fourth year. Right. And you have and to make you have to a fifth year decision. option decision before yeah. he even plays. Um, so I don't think that makes a lot of sense, even though I'd love to see that version of the Vikings offense. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it, it's a wait and see, I think is kind of fine because I don't think cousins, even if he does play well, is not going to get like a top of the market deal because he's going to be 35 this year. So I don't think it's going to, I, maybe I shouldn't be talking about Kirk Cousins money because it's always more than we kind of expect I mean, it's going to be. Would you pay Kirk Cousins more than Daniel Jones? Well, would I pay Kirk Cousins more than I would have paid Daniel Jones or would I pay <laughs> what Kirk Cousins got, what more Daniel than Daniel Jones got? Jones got? <sighs> Maybe, probably around there. I don't, I don't know. It's, it is, it is, it is, it is a tough place where the Vikings are and they, they might kind of be in that no man's land where they're, they might have to work those trade options. Um, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if, if they do, or maybe they are aggressive in, in a trade up, even if they are, you know, in the back half of the first mm. round, because it kind of feels like the, the Vikings are one of those teams that, you know, Kwesi is an analytically minded general manager. So that is a, you know, we're going to trade back, but he hasn't been afraid to, to trade up um, and kind of use some of that to, to move around the draft board a little bit if there's someone, and we all know trading up can be worth it if it's a quarterback. So next year is just going to be such a feeding be frenzy yeah. for those, those, I don't know. It's, it's, it'll be tricky, but maybe, maybe, I mean, there's always quarterbacks you don't predict who shake loose. So we'll see, including young ones. So, um, yeah, I think it, the, the, the most, it feels like the most likely Sydney situation is the most difficult one, which is Kirk Cousins finishes like 12th in most metrics and the yeah. offense looks pretty good and they're picking like 19th or something. I don't know, whatever. And it, then it's just like, what do you do? All right. Uh, people who will not be picking 19th Los Angeles Rams K pick 16, huge Rams fan here. I've been arguing with friends that we should tear down and tank for Caleb Williams. Well, you're right. They're taking, what could we get for Aaron Donald and Cooper Cove? Okay. The, and potential landing spots. So, this is unfortunately where things get tricky because the Rams roster right now is basically Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, and Cooper Cup, and that's it. And that's it. And now yeah. there, there's some other okay players, you know. But I'm just saying, like that. Those are yeah. it's, it's they have cleaned that thing out, which is good because you want Caleb Williams or Drake May. However, um, these are difficult contracts to move. Starting with Donald, I uh, just. Looked it up on Spotrack before we got started. So this year, if they traded him, and and probably that ship has obviously sailed where we are in the season anyways, right. but it would have been $41 million in dead money. Um, 
yeah, just all the um, you got thirty two million dollars in signing bonuses and nine million dollars in restructure restructuring bonuses hitting the cap. Unless I did something wrong, I don't know if you ran the same numbers, but uh, and then next year that drops to that drops below thirty million. But like, I don't know what Aaron Donald's status will be next year. Frankly, um, you know, there was always like rumors that he was going to retire anyways. I don't know. Like a lot of this would depend on Donald. Like, does he want to play for another contender? Does he care? Like, you know, maybe he would facilitate it in some way. I don't know. Um, Cup this year, I came up with 22, unless I'm missing something, 22.6. Next year drops to... Well, a little bit more manageable, 16.6. But again, these things you can always do pre and post June and just kind of comes down to the player. I mean, do either of those two players jump out to you as potential? Like, is it something that the Rams should consider or try to make happen? I don't know. I feel like if it was something the Rams were going to consider, it would have happened Yeah. by now. Um, yeah, the... The cup thing is is interesting because he's still a really good receiver. Uh, it still has what, four years and almost eighty million dollars left on his contract. I think forty million of that is guaranteed, uh, and then five million dollars of his twenty twenty five roster bonus is guaranteed in twenty twenty four, which is when there's still guaranteed money left on his deal. So he probably he would be on. Uh, the deal, so there's there's still a significant amount uh, of money there, although it, it is manageable. You know, if we're looking for options like Cooper Cup playing the Cooper Cup role, like on the Falcons, is a lot of fun. Oh yeah, it's sick. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I guess. Well, let me from the Rams' perspective though. Like, if you are you know going for Caleb or whatever, I actually think you might want to just keep Cooper Cup. Yeah. I'll throw that out there as well. I think he's still going to be good. I think Donald's a different story because of where he is in his career, um, which isn't to say he's not going to be good. But I kind of think the, the interesting one is one questioner didn't mention, which is what are you going to do about Matthew Stafford? So Matthew Stafford this year, I, I was wondering why there weren't any rumors of a Matthew Stafford trade this year at personally, because once it became clear that the Rams were not trying to win this year, I thought, well, you know, might as well get rid of him. But it would have been a 70, over $70 million cap hit um, pre-June 1st this year. Next year, that drops. It's still pretty hefty. Um I know these days we're like, whatever, $40 million, Aaron Rodgers, just, you know, like, we'll eat that. The Cardinals will eat Kyler, whatever. Well, But if we talk about the Cardinals doing this with Kyler, who's much younger than Stafford, one would think that if the Rams were in a position to um, take Williams or May, that they would explore it. I guess my question would be, though, like, you know, just the size of the cap hit, how possible it is. And also just like... Can Stafford like would you if you were if you were an NFL team would you be interested in it? I'd have to be a very specific team. Yeah, I would think. Like if I was, I mean they don't have the money to do it, but like if I was Tampa, yeah, I like that would make sense like to a me. Team that needs just a because they've but, yeah. kept everything else together. Like they are kind of a version of the Rams, but yeah. without. A quarterback, Tampa feel too. Yeah, yeah a, a little bit. So, like that would make sense, but again, just monetarily, I don't think it makes sense for really any side. And I was a, a pro yeah. Stafford trade when it happened. 
yeah. initially, but right now in that version, um, it's it, it's tough. Like the, the Rams are in such a weird spot um, because I I was a proponent of what they were doing in the way they I thought the F them picks was a very like misunderstood type of way to build around. And when you had Ramsey and Donald, it was easier to bring in some guys in the later rounds of the draft where they had a lot of draft picks, right? They weren't just foregoing the draft. They had a lot of draft picks and they were able to plug in some guys there. Now you look at that defense. So at, um, we did over before the draft kind of went through the depth chart of every team and, and just kind of wrote up what was going on. And I took the defense for just about every team. The Rams were the saddest uh, thing that I had to go through and and write up. There, there's just nothing on that defense. So, like you could think maybe that offense with Stafford and Cup can maybe pull something out with Sean McVay, but it's hard to see how that defense is is going to be any good uh, at all. Yeah, like, Kobe Durant is a really fun slot player that I've kind of found in the process. Other than that, and it's just. Yeah, it's it is a tough look. It's um, yeah. In some ways, it's like the the Cardinals is cleaner with Kyler's injury, you know. Like, uh, although next year they're going to have a similar decision to make as the Rams, only with a younger quarterback. Um, I guess with if you're the Rams, your best case scenario is that Stafford comes back and looks healthy, and then you can trade him because even if his hit next year, I think it was like fifty five, you could spread it out. I don't know. It's it, <laughs> It'd probably be challenging. Or maybe you just keep him on for one more year with the uh, rookie quarterback, depending on who it is, if you're in that position. But who knows? They might not even be in that position. Maybe they're picking third and they take Marvin Harrison Jr. Yeah. So, And maybe they just continue riding with Stafford. In either case, they clearly want to be – maybe it's not Williams. Maybe they're in a position just to be at the top of the draft without taking a quarterback. So it's going to be an interesting – both the Rams and the Cardinals, fascinating. All right, last big team question. I don't think the Cowboys improved. They just replaced in free agency. Your thoughts? This is from De- Dennis Harabed one Okay. Hmm. hmm. This is a loaded question. Yeah, I actually had to think about this a little bit because I've talked about how I really liked – the Cowboys adding both Brandon Cooks and Stephon Gilmore. I really loved those signings. Um, I think in the draft, they made some good choices. This is, you know, this team I think has kind of earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to drafting. Um, They take Mozzie Smith top of the draft, clearly trying to shore up the run defense, an unsexy, but uh, understandable pick. I guess my thing with the Cowboys is, well, let's start. Let's start on offense. You're, you're going from so. So you lost Dalton Schultz and Noah Brown. You add Brandon Cooks, and then you draft Schoonmaker. Offensive line is mostly the same. You lose Zeke Elliott. They might, maybe he'll come back. Um, are they better? Are they worse? Uh. I think either way, a full year of Dak is going to help. So I think that's going to cover up anything that might be an issue, mm. which hopefully like you're not going to get a, a couple game stretch of Cooper Rush, uh, which is always going to be good news if you're looking to potentially do something better than last year. Um, and I, I kind of, I think they are better in a sense because... 
I, I think Brandon Cooks is a pretty significant addition. And yeah. like I I wrote up like every uh free agent signing and in, in trade that happened this offseason and Brandon Cooks on the Cowboys was like it's a thing I continually forget until like I see it on the depth chart. Yeah. Uh and then I'm reminded like it that works because there was there was really no juice. And uh, yeah. there was a problem with a lot of offenses across the league. But there really wasn't anyone on that offense who was opening some things up and there was not a lot of anything that could really push the ball down the field or even just open things up for everybody else underneath. And I think cooks can still do that. Even if, you know, he's not, you know, Brandon cooks of, you know, what he was a couple of years ago. Um, so I think that helps, you know, there's the, so I, I came away with cautiously optimistic. Um, so, you know, you have the Mike McCarthy thing. That. Yeah, I was just about to say that. You lost Dylan so, Moore, though. You bring in Mike. I mean, Mark McCarthy is going to be the offensive coordinator. That feels like, uh, you know, Brandon Cook's good. Play caller. Hmm. Yeah, and, and that's my concern. I know there's that quote going around that, you know, Kellen Moore wanted to light up the scoreboard and I wanted to run the ball to give my defense rest. Not I've learned to, I'm, I'm not going to trust anything Mike McCarthy says, <laughs> possibly ever. Um until he kind of shows it on the field. Mm. Um, so I'm not going to believe Mike McCarthy runs the ball until like they actually run the ball because they haven't really shown us that they're going to do it, right? They lost Zeke, and now you have Tony Pollard That's coming true. back off the injury. Good point. And you only added Deuce Vaughn, um, yeah. who's uh, a fun player, but like that doesn't scream that yeah. we're going no, to great. run yeah, the ball like, 30 times What are you times showing us Yeah, with your personnel decisions? That's a really good point. They didn't I go still, offensive line. Yeah, I still have concerns about what the passing structure is going to be, right? Because you were going away from some of like, Kellen Moore just like threw some stuff out there. Like there was an entire drive last year where they went in 03 personnel and just had uh, two running backs and three tight ends and went that for a whole drive and just mixed some things up. So Kellen Moore like did some fun stuff. It didn't always work, but he was mixing it up. And I think Mike McCarthy is going to like want to run screens and slant flat. Um, which I'm not totally sure how much of an offensive improvement that's going to be. So that's my hesitation on offense. They have the players to do well if they want to. I'm just not totally sure what that structure yeah. is going to be. I think the defense actually could could be better. So um, yeah. that's where I think I start. I, I disagree with OP. Um, because I did love the Gilmore edition. Mm -hmm. I, I talked about the the Mozzie draft pick and they didn't really lose anyone i mean in fact Barr and brown are both free the anthony's are both free agents i think i don't think they've been signed but um when you look at uh and they also uh, drafted demarvian overshawn at linebacker when you, when you look at the the secondary depth in particular not only were they incredibly banged up last year but in that period when a lot of these corners were banged in safeties well, when they had when they when they had injuries, they had a lot of young players step up uh, in that secondary. The young safeties, the uh, Duran Bland at corner. Um, so I think now you've got Gilmore, who's ostensibly going to be you know the other opposite cornerback from Diggs. But behind those guys and and in the slot, and there's a bunch of guys who can kind of play multiple positions. I, I feel really good about this group. Um, so yeah, coupled with like potentially improved run defense, Micah Parsons, year three, full-time edge rusher. <laughs> um, 
I think this will like it's funny because last year the Cowboys were like the regression candidate. You talked at the beginning about, you know, being overly dependent on turnovers and there were like a bunch of reasons why it felt like it. And then they weren't. They were awesome. They were really good again. I I think Trevon Diggs became a better quarterback last year. And so now when I look at them, I don't think they're a regression candidate at all. In fact, I think that they will probably still be one of the better defenses in the NFL. Yeah, I I trust Dan Quinn so much and and that was the signing originally i was kind of you know didn't know because he you know came from the the seattle structure and was so set in what his defense was but we've kind of seen like that's just not the case anymore and he'll be throwing all kinds of stuff out uh and like you said even with some of those young defensive backs they were running dime at the fourth highest rate in the league last year uh and then they were running tougher ton of cover two from dime so they were like just mixing and matching a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of stuff and then you had all the stunts they were running up front uh which helped um like you said having parsons as a full-time edge rusher and he was already rushing 89 percent of the time anyway um but that i think that is going to help um like you said, Trevon Diggs like did not have as many splash plays but i think was more consistent it was much less boomer bust and it was just okay which is i think that's what you kind of want in the way they played defense last year. So I think that can improve. And like I said, they didn't really have a second corner last year. And to have Gilmore at that, I think that that changes the entire dynamic of that defense. Um, And it's having... Keeping Lou Adarumo was big for the Bengals. The Keeping Dan Quinn and him deciding he didn't want to... Uh, head coaching Huge job. For them. I think this is the perfect spot for him with these types of players. Yeah. Uh, the way he's adjusted and, and shifted some things around. I, yeah, I have. So, I think more trust than almost any defensive coordinator right now for Dan Quinn to like figure out how to make a good defense out of what Dallas has. Cowboys are good. They're good on paper. I think my only questions are depth. I would look at the offensive line in particular, mm. maybe a couple other position groups, and then the coaching thing with McCarthy. I think we're going to kind of just need to see that play out you know and see what it looks like but i'm i'm high on the cowboys so yeah another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Um, okay, well, speaking of coaching, let's, let's end with this question because we're going a little bit long. Um, so the DC 19583 asks, what coaches will be in the hot seat next year? I'm going to hang up and listen. So the way I interpret this question was just who's on the hot seat this year. Is that how you... Like guys who, so I, I wasn't like trying to predict who I think is going to be bad. I was kind of like, who comes into this season having to prove? Yeah, to, I, I was a little in between. There's there's kind of a okay. mix in between. Okay. So I think we're on the same page. 
So here's the list of guys. I, these are not guys I'm saying that I am necessarily think that they should be fired or whatever. These are just the names where I think they they got to have good seasons and potentially di- different teams, different standards, different but playoff runs. Um, okay. NFC South, both Bowles and uh, Dennis Allen. Yep. Right Top of my list. Both, both should have been on the top seat last year. But. Uh, Ron Rivera, yep. I put. Although the fact that there that maybe no quarterback will save him but um uh yeah i mean it's, it's you know it's been a few years i feel like that the no quarterback thing was like a decision with them yeah, yeah. new one like, yeah yep we're four for four in the same uh listing also in the order brandon staley yep he was on the you know i mean yeah yeah Hung on last year. I, I think it's good that he did. I talked about it, but they gotta they gotta win a playoff game this year. Uh, and then my last one was, and maybe this might be a little surprising. Robert Sala. Yeah, I, they gotta make it work. If the, if it doesn't work, if if this if they do do not, this is an interesting one where I think it, the playoff win versus playoffs will be an interesting distinction. But it's gotta look and feel good because. You, you know, that is, they have tied their fates to this Rogers thing. So did you have any coaches that I did not? So I had Mike McCarthy. Oh yeah. And it, I should have put him on. Yeah. In a tier kind of below, just because of like, no, that's a when good one. you power struggle your way to like the play caller. And if it doesn't work, um, it probably, um, so I don't know if he will be on the hot seat, but it feels like there's just always going to be a conversation around Zach Taylor because it's just always kind of like, could they be doing better? And like, there was a shift where I think he was much better last year than he was kind of in the first couple of years uh, where he was just like, it was fine, but they weren't really winning on like offensive structure. Mm. It wasn't so much. And again, he's like tenth on my list. Uh, right I think now. it's more but likely I just, to get like a big ass extension. <laughs> sure, so. and and probably. But you're doing should not will, yeah. 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 So uh, I just kind of think there's probably going to be a, a section of of Twitter that is kind of wondering if the Bengals could be doing a little more. But sure. I, I think there was the back half of last season definitely helped his case. And I think there was a lot more offensively that he did to adjust. And that was kind of the big thing. There was never really an adjustment to some things when they were struggling a little bit, but when they were starting to get in that shotgun exclusive offense, um, they figured out how to beat too high and it was, it was well-designed. So uh, I'm not saying that it's definitely going to happen. Cincinnati's probably still one of the better teams in the league. I just kind of feel like he's one of those guys that's just, just kind of something that always feels like, there might be a little more to what the Bengals could do. It's kind of what I've, and then I had just Josh McDaniels, which it just kind of seems like players don't really like him. He I, should so be. That's the one I just My was question like, in my yeah. notes here is can the Raiders literally afford to fire yeah. another coach? Uh, which I don't know. He, 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 here's why Josh McDaniels should be on the hot seat because the Raiders' entire offseason was basically betting on Josh McDaniels. Yep. I mean, it's kind of, we talked about this yesterday. It, it was, when you look at all the decisions they made offensively, they didn't get more talented at really anywhere, but they got players who were better fits for Josh McDaniels' offense. They got a quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo who's going to run that, you know, he's going to point and shoot and, and run that thing on time the way McDaniels wants, the way Derek Carr did not. They got a, a tight end. I, by the way, I love this pick, Mike Mayer. Uh, you know, I, I yep. was a huge fan of who's that traditional inline blocker, going to run option routes, 
do what Darren Waller did not do for McDaniels. Darren Waller, the more, you know, athletic player. They bring in another slot receiver in Jacoby Myers. Like all of this is like a big bet on a head coach who was really bad last year. And so I think there should be an immense amount of pressure on the, even though the offense by most people's estimations didn't get more, like didn't add like a bunch of, you know, I, I, I like all these players, but I'm just saying because of the strategy, he should absolutely be the one who is accountable for its success or failure. Yeah, absolutely. And it just, and with all of the, you know, the, the NFLPA stuff that came out and it just kind of seems like that's not, it's not a great situation. So if that goes south, I kind of feel like you're and right. If it looks like good. It, we will give him credit, by sure. the way. Yeah. Like if it looks better and I've, I think it's, it's totally plausible that it does, you know, I think there's, he's been a good play caller at, at various points. Then you'll, you'll feel better about it. But if it doesn't and yeah. Anyways, sorry. I'm glad you mentioned Josh McDaniels. I left him out. That's a good one. I should have mentioned him. I just was like, I can't afford it. And I kind of threw it off my list. Um, all right. Dan Pizzuta, thank you so much for joining the show. You guys got to go follow him, Dan at Dan Pizzuta. Um, check us out on YouTube. Uh, if you're not watching the podcast, um, you can watch it there. And yeah, thank you so much for coming back. I hope you join us again sometime. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really appreciate you having me on. Wow!